Hi, it's Paul Camillos. Welcome to Series 6 of Shooting the Breeze. Join me and my co-host Jacinta Gavind alongside the STB crew as we cover women's hoops and women in hoops. We'll share conversations and get a little deeper with inspiring players, amazing coaches and the legends from behind the scenes. Especially in this series, we'll be talking to dream chasers that give it their all and lead with their heart. And then if you are a business, find some way to invest in women's sport, whether that's watching on TV, buying tickets, you know, sponsoring, uh, jumping on board with a business like mine. <laughs> uh, no hint there, but anything will improve women's sport at the moment. And you just look at the effect of the Matildas and just how they've inspired our younger generation. In the first of our Dream Chasers series, our guest is Cassidy McLean. Cass is a reigning NBL1 champ for the Bendigo Braves, who completed a perfect season and runs her own business, the Sporting Chance Collective, that gives athletes a sporting chance to pursue their goals by providing commercial experience to generate much-needed income. In stepping back from the WNBL, she's boldly backing herself in business, to provide her peers with an opportunity to pursue their sporting careers in a minimum wage reality that adversely impacts many players, both financially and mentally. It's a fascinating point of view from a talented, hardworking player who not only enriches her grassroots and business community, but has parlayed her basketball leadership and skills off court to create opportunities that literally make a difference for other women in sport. We're grateful for the candid discussion and insight Cass shares. Despite her own setbacks, she's making an impact for others. Enjoy. Welcome to Shooting the Breeze. Joining me, my co-host Jacinta Govind, and today we've got joining us Cassidy McLean, undefeated NBL1 champ with the Bendigo Braves. Cassidy, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you. I see so much of you guys on social media and everything, so it's really great <laughs> to actually sit down and chat with you all. So, Cass, it's been a while since we've talked to you, if I yeah. remember right. I can't even remember how many years ago. Um, That's right. Yeah. Things have gone from strength to strength. And so, yeah, first thing I want to ask you about is 28 no and the chip at the end. How was that? Yeah, it was pretty incredible. I think from the very start we knew we were capable of being able to pull something off or like potentially win the championship, particularly with – the loss in the grand final the year before. Um, I think we didn't expect to go 28-0, particularly towards the end. We, were, we weren't sure if we wanted a loss or not, just a bit of bad juju going into grand finals w- without losing a game. So I think, I think we were just pretty gobsmacked ourselves to be able to achieve that. And I don't, I don't know if it, that is the record or not, but I'd, I'd assume we'd be pretty close. <laughs> I would say particularly with the new format that includes NBL1 Nationals, it would have yep. to be a record, I think, because you not only won the NBL1 South chip, but you won Nationals too. So I reckon, I mean, that's the, literally the perfect season. Yeah. One of the things I, I want to ask about, and because it, it surprised me, is you've gone 28-0, you're in a championship-winning team, you've got, you know, quite a few years in the WNBL, and you're not in the WNBL this season. 
Yes, I'm having the summer off. It kind of got to the point where either I had to give or the WNBL teams had to give. So um, it got to the point where I couldn't financially stay at where I was. Last season, I was also working a part-time job as well as playing, just, you know, paying bills, um, mortgage, rent, uh, groceries. Everything is just so expensive these days that I really did need that other job. And then come this season to try resign and unfortunately they didn't want me to work. They wanted me to do more basketball. And which is great. That's what I want to do in life is be a full-time basketball player. But unfortunately, they weren't going to offer any more money. So more work at less pay or same pay as before. So I didn't quite see the logic in it. And so I've decided I had to go get a full-time job. And that's kind of where I'm at now, working full-time and just preparing for the next NBL One season. Okay. I want to touch on this for a second because... No, I mean, the honest truth is, if you were in that situation, there must be other people in the WNBL who are in the same situation. Absolutely. Um, and I, I do know of some other players that are in the same boat that were working and um, just couldn't financially afford to play in the WNBL. That's just the, you know, the reality of it for some of us players. And unfortunately, I think the biggest push for me to have the break off is I've got so many other things going on in life, like my business and building a home that I, and I'm studying as well. So I could afford to give up the WNBL. And unfortunately, uh, I don't believe it's a league at the moment that's accommodating for players like me, that I'm getting to that next stage of life. But I've still been on minimum wage for six years. So it's, it's yeah, either I had to, you know, sacrifice the financial side of things and really contribute to the WNBL and, you know, my own game to try to make that better. But I just wasn't in that position and to be able to do that. And, yeah, it was ended up being more of a personal choice, I think. And, yeah, there are, I do know there are other players that are in the same boat because what are you studying as well? I think I read somewhere that you're studying physio. Is that right? Uh, speech pathology. Speech pathology. So uh, for those that don't know, speech pathology being an allied health professional includes a 1,000 hours of placement <laughs> for you to qualify at the end of your degree, and that's also unpaid uh, work essentially. So on top of all the other things that you just mentioned, you're studying a degree where you'll have to go on long blocks of placement um, that's going to be unpaid. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I like to call it a little bit of, you know, bit of slave labor right there. Um, for, and you see it in like high school students when they come do work experience. I'm like, this is, this is taking advantage of the system. I think. <laughs> yeah. And, and cause like, look, I gotta be honest, I'm still gobsmacked at the fact that there was an expectation that you were going to do more basketball at the same pay. You know, it's, it's a shame that that situation occurs because basically, you know, you're providing players at whatever level of skill that they've got, whether they be, you know, junior players or players who've got years of experience, giving them no, not a whole lot of choice. It's like, hey, yeah, we want you to stay. We're really not going to be able to pay you what you think you're worth or what you are worth. And so make a choice. And I think that's that's probably going to be a significant impact in terms of the league and how it's perceived as well. Yeah, and I think also 
when it came to the point that, you know, I've got this full-time job now that I'm getting paid a great amount for and I'm still able to, you know, go to weddings on the weekend and I'm still able to build a house. I can be social with my friends. I'm not stressed all the time because of the WNBL. There's other aspects to it as well other than pay that, you know, became appealing that I didn't realise were there before. And then I started having this uh, thought that maybe I don't want to play at WNBL level because, you know, I can go do other things that I get paid more for and they're less stressful, they're not as hard, I can still enjoy other life things. And once I came to that realisation, the choice just became easy. And, you know, in this time of me making this decision, minimum wage has gone up that little bit, but I did think, oh, maybe if I stuck around... I could have been paid a little bit more with that minimum wage increase, but I don't think it would, you know, my mental health stability and, uh, you know, the things I miss out on every weekend, I, I wouldn't get those things back. So there was a lot of other things that came into this decision, but a massive part of it was the financial side. And it's the, it sounds like you're describing a good work-life balance, um, still being able to see all of your friends and, and attend all their milestones like weddings and even if they're non-basketball friends, um, it just means you have the freedom to go and be a regular person and not an athlete on an athlete schedule all the time. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was a bit stuck when I was playing WNBL and also working. I would go to the gym at 7 a.m., go to training at nine till midday and then I'd quickly run off to my job in the afternoon and I'd finish there at some nights at 9pm and then I'd be back in the gym at 7am the next day and I didn't have that opportunity to have an outlet to be able to go and reset where I was just in this cycle of playing WNBL, working part-time, playing, working and it just got a little bit too much and yeah, it just it, it just got way too hard and mentally draining and I didn't like how I felt while I was doing that. And so if I was to play WNBL again, I'd have to do that. I can't afford not to have another job and have another income. So it honestly could be a choice between, you know, my own happiness and playing WNBL, which sounds sad, but I also believe there's a big discrepancy between, you know, our highest paid players, which is also significantly lower than what they're worth but if I look at you know the highest paid player in their league and then compare that to what I'm getting or was getting there's just still even a massive gap between that and so I don't feel like players like me are put into a position where we can thrive in the league and flourish and you know take that next step like I didn't have time to go in and put extra work in so if a team doesn't want me because I'm not performing or not putting in extra work that's fine but I physically couldn't do the extra work because I had to go work another job to pay rent, to buy groceries, to pay for my petrol. I didn't have rent paid for me. So, and then at the same time I'm paying rent and also a mortgage because my house isn't built yet. (laughs) So it just, I wasn't in the best position to be able to thrive in the WNBL. And I think that there's an issue with female sport in some of those aspects like you look at the netball some of them haven't been paid for eight weeks and living in their car like I think that's extreme for me because I've got a lot of help and support around me and family and friends but that's like the reality of us female athletes sometimes like that's what I'm thinking like oh my gosh I'm not going to be able to 
afford to pay my mortgage and I'm going to lose my house. Like that's that's the things that are going through my brain. So, yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> Sorry, that was a good. I went off on a little bit of a no, tangent. No, that's really good. I just want to go back to that point that Paul touched on and you touched on also, Cass, where you talked about the pay discrepancy between the highest paid player in a team and someone like the wage that you were on the last six years. Um, I think that's when the conversation comes in about worth versus need. So when you're one of the higher paid players, you know, like our imports, like your Aerie McDonald's, you're going to expect them to be on a higher salary, obviously being an import and then getting paid what they're worth. But I feel like the players like yourself who it's not so much what they're worth, what you're worth, it's what you need. It's like what you actually need to provide the best for your team. So just like you said, you, you can't provide any more to them because you like you can't financially do it. You're only getting paid to a certain extent where you can only do so much of the work and if they wanted you to work more, I think that you obviously needed more, not so much like was worth more, if that makes sense. So yeah. like, if you need me to work more, you need to give me more money so I can be better for the team. Like that's kind of like the buy-in. I'm not too sure if that made sense, but it made sense in my head. No, it does. And like I kind of touched on it before where I was in this cycle of either I had to give either the like my team I'm with any team that it may be, they either have to invest in me and then that allows me to put in extra work because I'm invested in more, I can afford to, you know, not work some afternoons so I can do the extra work or I just do what I've done now and said, actually, no, that's not going to happen. I'm just going to step back. And that's that's where I'm at and taking that step back. And honestly, I think it has been the best thing for me just having that prolonged NBL one season as well. Like we played an extra month longer than some teams. If you didn't make finals, like I remember seeing some girls overseas on holidays and I was preparing for another finals game. And I was like, Oh, like I do love winning. And I loved winning the championship with my team, but oh, sitting having cocktails in Bali right now also sounds so good. <laughs> <laughs> so like, was it hard to adjust to, uh, a bit more of a work-life balance once you decided not to play WNBL? Because, I mean, it's probably a lifestyle that you've been used to for so long. So is it hard to adjust, you know, to a lower gear in life? And uh, what were some of the new outlets that you got to explore? Well, at the moment I work full-time at the basketball stadium still. <laughs> so I'm around it a lot every day. I can't escape it. I pretty much live at the basketball stadium at the moment. But I'm doing something that I love and that's, you know, working with young kids and the future stars of our game. So right at the grassroots, we've got a program called Itty Bitty Ball. They're two to four-year-olds. And then up until, you know, we've got 12-year-olds that can jump in on a program as well. And then also our inclusive programs like AAA Access All Abilities, Wheelchair Basketball, Walking Basketball. So I coordinate all those programs at the stadium and I just absolutely love it. So I'm a nine-to-five workday girly right now and it was a big adjustment, like, you know, not being – I had to find extra time to be active. Like I'm not now being paid to play where I get my free exercise or paid exercise. Like I'm having to find these extra times, like getting up early in the morning, which I'm used to anyway, or doing things in the afternoon. And then one of the biggest things I've realised with working full-time is I don't have, you know, these this 
small amount of spare time where I can go, you know, clean the house or do my washing. Like that's something I'm either doing after 5 p.m. or on the weekends and I have to make more uh, use of my time. It's precious to me at the moment, but I absolutely love it. Like I said, it's, you know, a passion of mine to be able to work with our future basketball stars so but I also love the free time I have on the weekends now you know I'm not traveling five hours over to Perth or up to Townsville I'm you know watching my partner at cricket or we're going to a wedding or a baby shower or something like we've always got something planned and like the other day one of my friends from another team messaged me and was like hey I'm in town can we catch up for coffee and I was like why are you in town She's like, uh, because I'm playing and totally, I was like, oh, that's right. And I mean, I still do love it. Like I follow the stats a lot and watch games that I can, but I think I found this like new side that I've missed out on for so long. And it's definitely, I thought watching round one, I would be really upset not playing, but I had a wine in hand. I was already in my pajamas. Just sitting on the couch, it was so good. It felt so good. I was, yeah, very content with, yeah, my choice and I think it's definitely needed, particularly if we're going to make another run at NBL 1 again and go hopefully deep into the season all the way to the end. So could be another long year for that. <laughs> so one of the things that, you know, you've been talking about all the stuff that you've been doing to, to fill the gaps from basketball. And one of the things that uh, we want to talk to you about is the Sporting Chance Collective. So can you let us know what it's all about and how it came to be? So how it came to be, two local business women from where I'm from in Newcastle were really passionate about women's sport and they're really angry. You know, this was 2019, so what's that, four years ago, really angry that women's sport didn't get the recognition it deserved, the pay, the, you know, TV coverage, all the way to social media, everything. So they came up with an idea to create a business that gave elite sportswomen an opportunity to earn another wage while they're playing. So they don't have to worry about, you know, the paying the rent, the groceries, because we're not paid great. So like I've just, everything I've just spoken about pretty much is why this business is here and so one of the these ladies had a marketing business so that's how the idea of creating a social media business where athletes can just get trained through you know our previous owners they're backed by a marketing company and we can also create you know their new skills in social media but also connect them with great businesses so we've got a pretty diverse range of businesses that our athletes that are currently employed are working with and they're learning not only, you know, for example, things about real estate or things about law or property or, you know, physio. We've got a great array of um, clients and I think this is really valuable skills that they've been able to learn not only, you know, how to market themselves and brand themselves and other businesses but how to, you know, have face-to-face business corporate meetings with other clients and uh you know i definitely could i used to use this example where i could barely order a coffee on my own i'd send someone else to get it because i don't want to talk to them i never used to answer my phone i'd wait for the follow-up text message or email because i was too anxious to talk on the phone and now i'm you know doing podcasts and dealing with pretty critical interesting business stuff and Uh, going to award evenings and all that. So I feel like 
what Sporting Chance Collective is about is so broad and, you know, has so many different avenues of how we can support elite athletes. But if I was to summarise it pretty simply, it would be just to provide athletes with that extra income where they don't have to worry about those little things that their paycheck from sport or if they don't get paid to play sport, it can cover that and they can just solely focus on you know, their extra work they're putting in, you know, who they're playing coming up and all that sort of nitty-gritty stuff. And so that's what we're about. And <laughs> I kind of like the, the fact that you're giving players an opportunity to get, athletes an opportunity to get familiar with how you have to behave and operate in a commercial world because it is really different. And it's a subject that we've talked about a lot on the pod, which is, you know, when you get to the end of your Sporting career, what's next? How do you, I mean, I'm really curious, how do you manage that process of, of educating athletes who probably have not had an opportunity to get exposed to those environments to operate in that world? Yeah, well, I've been with the business from the start. I was the OG social media coordinator. So I actually coached these two ladies who invented the business, coached their kids in basketball. So they approached me one day and was like, we think you're really charismatic and outgoing and whatever. We reckon you'll be a great candidate to be our first social media coordinator. And I was like, yeah, sounds great. I'll... um." take it on board, earn an extra bit of money. Yeah, how good. Like, yeah, I was jumped at it because I was I was more thinking at the start, oh, my gosh, extra cash. <laughs> I just thought about the money. And then, you know, July last year I took over the business as my own. And so I run and direct the business at the moment and I never thought I would get to this point. I just thought it was, you know, another stream of income and just so rewarding to be able to be the head of this at the moment being able to help other athletes. And so when we channel back to when a new athlete comes on board, I do have, you know, four or five years of experience now with the business, but we're also backed by our previous owners. So having that marketing background from director back in the day and when they gave me the business, they didn't desert me. They're still there, you know, kind of that more mentoring role at the moment. And then it just comes learning on the job. So obviously Sporting Chance Collective have their own social media pages. So that's used as the training run. And um, we have some great, you know, online tools that we use to help along the way from the time content's thought of all the way to when it's approved and scheduled in to be posted. So there's a lot of review processes we go through. It's never just, I thought of this idea, I've created it, it gets posted there's a lot of eyes that have to oversee the content once it's created and yeah, kind of learning on the job. So say one of the girls sends content through to me to approve and I say, Hey, we write the date in this format, not like that. Like this is how it's like appropriate for social media. I would then, you know, assume that they've taken that I'll write it like that next time or I'll do it like that next time and that's kind of how the process goes along we're very fortunate that we do have a social media coordinator that has a business degree and then a lot of the like one of the girls has social media background and so we're kind of fortunate in that area we've got someone that's never done it before but has done an awesome job so it's very much learn as you go on the job and a lot of feedback and like 
good feedback. It's never bad. And like, I know I just put myself in their shoes and cause if I was to look at content I created five years ago, I'd honestly cringe. So <laughs> you do come a long way, the more you do it. So it's been great. And I learn a lot kind of taking on this directing role as well. It's totally different trying to deliver it and trying to teach other girls. So trying to learn that myself, this is a first and yeah, it's been interesting, the process, but it's also been very beneficial and rewarding for me as well. Suddenly got self-conscious about my uh, Instagram account now, so <laughs> go check it. <laughs> I do see some, you know, businesses post and I'm like, oh, God, I wouldn't do that. Or <laughs> it just becomes a part of you from now on. Yeah, see, when you say that, all I think about is got to get rid of the entire series one of the podcast. <laughs> yeah the, the lesson you take from it is that you've learned and you've improved yeah. so if you're not improving that's when you'd have a worry with it all right so Cass I, I, I one of the things I really want to talk about and it comes back to the whole salary thing and helping athletes for that next step after sport it's about growth and potential investment in women's sports now it's obvious that the opportunities there are growing what would you be saying to businesses that are listening to this podcast are thinking about women's sports? What what would you say to them? Uh, I just, anyone that has not been to a female elite sports game, or I would say come to an NBL one game, WNBL game, you just need to see one game and you'll be hooked and you want to invest. You want to, I just say, get to a game and watch it and then talk to your athletes. I think people forget that, you know, we are also human, but, you know, we're doing something so incredible on the court, the field, anywhere. Like I just watched the WNBA or college basketball, WNBL, EuroLeague, anything, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, we are so skilled. Like we think catching and passing is just easy, but to anyone on the street, sometimes that can be <laughs> quite difficult for them. And so I think, oh, my God, we can do a no-look pass while halfway through the air getting spear-tackled by another player. Yep. So I think people just forget how much work we actually do and what goes on behind the scenes and just to come watch a game and then you'll be invested. And then if you are a business, find some way to invest in women's sport, whether that's watching on TV, buying tickets, you know, sponsoring, uh, jumping on board with a business like mine. <laughs> uh, no hint there, but anything will improve women's sport at the moment. And you just look at the effect of the Matildas and just how they've inspired our younger generation. And I think I've looked at research and whatnot just from, you know, having my own business in sport. But participation levels in junior sport is actually decreasing and more kids are sitting in front of, you know, the Xbox, PlayStation, computer screens, iPads, everything like that, that we need the coverage like the Matildas got in that World Cup and ongoing to kind of encourage our younger generation to get on board because they are our future and without them we won't have sport, we won't have you know, the ability to watch incredible athletes on the screen. So I think if you just watch a game, buy a ticket, like the biggest, when people ask me for free tickets, 
And I'm like, oh my gosh, they're like five, ten dollars. Buy a ticket, support yeah. us. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's justified, but other times I'm like, just buy the ticket. Like you're supporting women's sport right now. Yeah, just invest in any way you can. There's so many opportunities you can. And a lot of the time, if I know with my sponsors, today we ran a clinic for Bendigo Ford. They're our sponsors for Aussie Hoops. And we did this massive, massive day with them filming and handing out prizes to kids and whatnot. Guarantee those kids will want to buy a Ford car. (laughs) You invest, you definitely get things in return. And The other day I was at a school doing a Fresh Fruit Friday where we deliver fresh fruit to promote healthy eating and activity and I asked the kids who their favourite player was and they they said these two people that haven't been on a basketball court at the NBL1 level but they attended their school and did a clinic with them so all of a sudden they're their favourite player. They could be the worst basketball players out there, but they've seen them and they love them. So people are invested in them. And so that's what I kind of say to businesses. If you invest in athletes, female, male, you know, elite sport, junior sport, whatever, you get so much in return and it's so rewarding. And just like when I reflect on this NBL one championship with the Braves, the community support we received and the backing we received was just incredible. And we went out to celebrate our win at the end once we got back from Perth and people came up to us saying, you the Braves, like congratulations. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. So I feel like you get so much out of it. People recognise you. They recognise the brand. Yeah, and I think also as smaller towns have more of an opportunity to get around the club. So, you know, I, I mean, I've, I've been to, to Bendigo to watch a couple of games couple of WNBL games, and the town gets behind the team. So do you think that, you know, there's less engagement somehow with the bigger cities? I mean, you know, you played in Sydney, so you understand what I'm sort of saying. Do you think that there's something that can be learned by the big city teams by studying how the smaller town teams engage with their fan base? Yeah, I think because just being a smaller community, you can run into us at any chance. Like I said, we were out celebrating, um, having dinner, and people came up to us being like, oh, my gosh, you're the Braves. And then today for this Aussie Hoops Bendigo Ford partnership launch, the guy from Bendigo Ford couldn't believe that he had met me and that he was there and I was delivering, doing the launch with him. And he was like, oh, my gosh. Like, And <laughs> I think just being a small town, you just reach so many people. And we are a big footy community, but just having elite teams in a town like Bendigo is really beneficial for the community, but also for us as well. And the community just does great at getting around us and you know, you got to find something to do in a small town. <laughs> so, <laughs> might as well get down to watch a basketball game. And particularly for us, we do a really good job in the community. And a few of us are outsiders originally. Like, I'm not from Bendigo. I've been here for six years now. But there's a few of us from out of town, like Amy Atwell in our championship winning NBL1 team from Perth. No one had really seen her before in Bendigo. And now she's so many people's favourite player and she did so much out in the community. And and if people just see us and they see us out at schools or doing programs, running clinics, everything, they want to come support us. So I would find it really hard for teams if they didn't get out in the community 
to actually be able to get people to come support them. So, yeah, I think we do a really good job of that and we're definitely going to capitalise on our recent success going into next year. Going to run it back for 2024. Okay. You've heard it here first, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we have to go back all the way to the Nationals anyway. (laughs) We could be the worst team in the league and still have to go back. I think after we won, that was our biggest dread. Like, oh, my gosh, if we're terrible next year, we've got to come all the way back. <laughs> yeah, I don't, th- I don't think that's going to happen somehow. Uh, yeah, I think we'll have a pretty similar team. So Okay, yeah. so. The new spoilers get there. Hopefully we get a few more team announcements before this episode comes. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I've got to say, because I remember when we first met you in Sydney, right? I was a baby. I know. And and the thing like 16, is... 17 years old. And the thing is, talking to you now and hearing you talk about the Sporting Chance Collective and all the other things that you're doing, I look at it and I go, okay, obviously the, the, the ability to learn from being an athlete, an elite athlete, means that, you know, you've built that confidence, you've built skills that do translate. If you look back at Cass when she first started playing at at the Flames, what would you say to her if you could right now? I think I would say not to be so hard on myself and that there is a world outside there of basketball and that you're probably not going to end up where you thought you'll end up, but I think it's better where I am. So I think to stress less, Enjoy life while it's there and just take it as it comes because it's different every day, really. <laughs> and I know, I, I know I'm going back to a topic we've talked about a bit before, but this is one that, that kind of – it actually annoys me when I hear th- this particular comment. Quite often we hear the comment that, you know, women's sports can afford to pay players market rates once the sport starts bringing in that level of revenue. I disagree with that. Now, I think that if you look at women's sports, effectively they are in a startup phase. Despite the fact that the WNBL has been around for 40 years, it's really just getting to that, that the cusp of that level of professionalism that it needs to, to take the next step. How does the WNBL and how do the clubs better engage with business and with sponsors to be able to get that level of pay up. I mean, I, I know that there's league minimums and I know that there's a soft cap for the teams, but there's latitude there to be able to provide, you know, better pay and better conditions for the players. Now that you've kind of seen the business world and you've been in the sporting world for so long, what do you think are options to fix the problem? Uh, I think the WNBL should be sold for one and get out of the hands of Basketball Australia. <laughs> it's a bit controversial, but okay. I don't think I'm alone on that opinion either. Or I think Basketball Australia need to employ more people to be able to, you know, focus on areas that are critical and to be able to put more effort into the league. At the moment, I think we're at a stage where it's like, oh, we're managing, thank God. It's it's not so much, a you know, what's our five-year plan? Like I don't know if the WNBL has one. I don't know. They might, they might prove me wrong. And, but at the moment I feel like it's, let's just get by season to season and that's good enough where really it's not. I think either we need to sell 
the league to a business person who wants to invest, um, be able to, you know, you look at what Larry Kessman's been able to do with the NBL. It's one of the biggest sports. The NBL is one of the biggest leagues at the moment in Australia. Yeah. Or even worldwide. Like you look at some of the next stars we get or the players that come over and play, they're high caliber because it's got that attention. And I think the WNBL just needs a bit of love really and just certain areas that need a bit more focus. And then also just, you know, what we can do is just get out in the community. And like when you go to an engagement, you're not just standing there, you know, unhappy to be there. Like you actually need to physically engage with the people that you're there with, whether it's kids, business people, investors, whoever, you need to give them a reason to come invest in you. And I think something like playing elite sport and playing basketball at a high level, like a lot of people get these highly personable skills. Like I can sit here, have a conversation with you. I can sit, have a conversation with, you know, a business person, or I can sit and have a conversation with a (laughs) five-year-old. We're very diverse. And I think we do get these skills and this confidence and I say to a lot of people we're entertainers not so much sports people so sometimes we do have to embrace that inner entertainer in us and you know get these people on board give them a reason to invest and at the moment like yes us as athletes and individuals might be a reason to invest but I think so much more needs to go into the league and I think it starts with either employing more people or selling the league okay there's a few things there that I want to unpack because this no 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 this is really this is really interesting stuff I mean first of all the recognition that it's not just about sports it's about entertainment it's got to be you know it's not just about getting people to plonk down their money to go and watch a game and then go home. You've got to sell an entertainment package because you're competing against so many other things that are out there vying for people's attention. Look, to be honest, we've spoken to a lot of athletes over the, the seasons that we've had so far. Um, not a lot have actually recognised the fact that it is the, the entertainment business. But added to that, the other part to that is the whole concept of selling the WNBL. Now, that's it's an interesting concept. Um, and you mentioned the NBL. And, yes, the NBL has a huge amount of attention. It has a huge amount of eyeballs on it. But as far as I know, and, I mean, I look, I could be wrong here, but I believe that the NBL only broke even for the first time, I think, last year or the year before. So it, despite having all that attention – there's something else that seems to be missing in getting that attention into the sports. So, yeah, I can I can see the the validity of the the point about selling the WNBL to an investor. But the point is, at some point, and you would know this from being in business, you want a return on your capital. You, know, you want a return on that money that you put in. So you've got to be able to see that growth, and then it becomes a question of how deep are your pockets, and when do you get to that point where you go ouch, this is starting to hurt. (laughs) What do you reckon is the best way to try and balance that off? And I know we're kind of getting way off topic here, but this is really interesting stuff. I think with anything and like being in business and social media particularly, I always say to my clients, it's a slow burn. Mm -hmm. You're not going to magically have 20,000 followers in a month. (laughs) And I would say the same thing about any sort of sport. So you, you use the NBL as an example So they broke even last season, say they break even this season and again the next, and then all of a sudden they don't the year after. That's when I'd be concerned. And I think 
with where Basketball Australia is at, where they're at this point where they're just managing it, they're never going to break. Like they're never going to make any advancements. And so just someone that's willing to, you know, invest more and make more of a change, I think most of us players would be open to it. Yeah, like we can't just stay in this managing phase because you're not going to get anywhere anyway. Yep. So you may as well give someone else the opportunity to make and they do have to be prepared to dig deep into their pockets because, like I said, it's a slow burn. It's not going to happen overnight. We have to give people a reason to invest and in turn give us money essentially and views and notoriety and all this. Like we have to give them a reason and it's not going to happen overnight to be able to make change. Like so many people have all these big ideas and, yeah, you can't put them all in at once. So I think back to where I said BA, it's just a managing thing. So you may as well give someone else a go because otherwise, like we've been overtaken by AFLW. We've been overtaken by, you know, the Matildas. Like we're just going to keep, you know, sitting down here and minimum wage is terrible. Like I think I, I was watching the AFLW Awards the other day and she said by 2028 the average player will be earning $80,000 like 80,000 plus dollars. Yep. Like that's incredible. And they're a league that's been in here 40 years less than us. <laughs> True. And in, but they are they in, are backed by the AFL though. But they have to, like you said, they have to have sustainability. Yes. And so clearly they've found a way to have this sustainability. And, you know, we talk about backed by the AFL, why can't we be backed by the NBL? And Oh, look, I'm going to put my hand up and say, listen, I don't have the answer to this one. You know, we've we've spoken with Christy Collier-Hill. We've spoken with a whole lot of people who've had a whole lot of different opinions on how this could work or how this could be, be done or how it could be improved. To me, I think the first step is somebody's actually got to make a serious decision and say, yeah, we want to turn the WNBL from being a semi-pro league into a fully professional league. Somebody's got to come out and say it and write it up on a wall where people see it every day because then that keeps everyone accountable to achieving that goal. The mechanics of how that happens, that'll follow. But, you know, I agree with you. Something's got to change because, you know, look, I don't even want to think about how many years we've been around the WNBL and I've seen improvements, but there's still gaps there. There's still things that need to be improved. And obviously you've seen it from the inside and now you're seeing you've got that step back in the experience in business and you're seeing things very differently. So it's great to hear your opinion on this. Mm. And, like, don't get me wrong, it's not all technically. (laughs) But I think as athletes in that league, we need to hold it to a standard and we need to, you know, hold people accountable to be able to make these change. Otherwise, we do have this fractured relationship. And looking back again at the Super Netball and the Netball Australia relationship right now, it's completely fractured and I'm not sure if it will be salvaged in any way in the next little bit. And we don't want to get to that point. We want to be listened, we want to be heard, we want to be respected to be able to, you know, implement these changes that we say. And, yeah, it's slowly you know, things are changing, like the minimum wage going up, but then you can argue that that's a, you know, players association thing. Like they've fought hard for us. Like why can't we just have minimum wage because that's what we're worth? And, yeah, it is. I could go on and on, but. No, I know. Look, this actually leads, look, it leads into all sorts of big conversations about, you know, 
TV rights, about rights money, about global rights, about, you know, marketing the sport, how it's being marketed. It's just this monstrous conversation. But to be fair, I would really like to get you back at some point during this season. We're kind of planning on doing something about the business side of basketball. Be great to get, you know, get you back on where it's more of a discussion about, you know, from a player's perspective, how things pan together and try maybe try and get that information out there to start the conversation. Yeah, definitely. And I think the business side of things, so many athletes have to go down that avenue at the moment to be able to have this extra income and, you know, that backup plan. So I think that'd be, re- I've seen a few people do similar things like that. Like Megan Husswaite did the article on a few of us last season about the business side of things. And yeah, I think it's really beneficial for getting the word out there that, you know, athletes are more than basketball players. Yep. So yeah, that would be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. Cassidy, it's been great having you on the show and it's just great to talk to you after well, it's been at least six years because that's how long you've been in Bendigo. Yes, I've probably matured a little bit <laughs> since then, <laughs> grown up a little bit. <laughs> so thanks so much for joining us on the show and we look forward to talking to you soon. Thank you. I can't wait to listen to it, even though I hate listening to myself. <laughs> I'll do it just because it's you guys. <laughs> Thank you so much. Make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you get our latest pod. And we really appreciate if we could get a like and a review so we can extend the reach to more listeners. And don't forget, follow us on Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn.